All right, we're back. It's another Carolina podcast. Still in quarantine, but still churning over here. Plenty of recruiting news as we get closer to what I think we can all be a little more optimistic about being a real actual college football season with real actual college football games. It may not be the exact number of games that we expect or all the same opponents that we were expecting necessarily, but uh, as of right now, it does seem like things are on track to be back. Uh, you know, college campuses, at least most of them in the SEC, have uh, announced that they are planning on being back by the middle of August, uh, including South Carolina, which means football players will be back by at least the middle of August. So maybe it's a, it's the case that we're just talking about a, a rough couple, uh, couple weeks of the season to start uh, as people kind of get back into it. But um, I will ask Wes and Chris a little bit more what they're hearing just uh, on that front when football players can be coming back. But uh, all this to say, it seems optimistic that we might have football when we thought we were going to uh, initially, which means everything else has to go on as normal, too, in terms of putting together these recruiting classes. And we've had a surprising amount of recruiting talk, given the moratorium uh, that has been placed on recruiting across uh, the landscape of college athletics. Now, uh, as we've talked about many times on this podcast, that doesn't mean that you don't already have relationships with guys and that you can't have phone calls and texts and you know Zoom meetings or whatever it is that they're doing. So we actually do have a ton of recruiting news to get to today as guys continue to set their decision dates, uh, go ahead and make decisions. And we talked about it a little bit on the podcast last week, and Chris, you were on with uh, Jay and me earlier this week to talk about the implications of guys signing early, and you know maybe that just means that guys are going to decommit later, and maybe this is a case of guys just wanting to make sure that they have a slot somewhere in case there is not a foreseeable future in which they can go make official visits on campuses. Uh, but we'll get into all that uh, and a lot more. But today I wanted to start with a couple of guys uh, specifically of interest, um, and Wes, the name that I think people, one of the names that people are most intrigued about uh, when he's going to make his decision, what that decision is going to be, is a uh, local kid, local-ish from the state of South Carolina, Myrtle Beach wide receiver, J.J. Jones, who recently moved up uh, his decision, I guess, in accordance with a lot of people going ahead and making their decisions a little bit earlier than they normally would have. Yeah, I think um, it's been really interesting uh, how this has sort of played out, and I, I think Certain guys um, have have you know had some pressure put on them from from staffs to to go ahead and commit. I think and seen that sort of play out. And you know JJ um, initially was going to commit in August on his birthday. Then uh, there was rumor it was moved up to July, and uh, now it's moved up to you know to next week. So uh, that's pretty interesting. This has been sort of a strange recruitment in, in a sense that. I think most of us thought once South Carolina offered that, um, you know, that the Gamecocks were probably going to instantly shoot to the top. Um, I don't really get the sense that's happened. Um, you know, that there's a lot of North Carolina buzz here right now. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you can completely count out South Carolina, especially in the long run. Um, but, you know, if he announces next week, as he's currently planning, I, uh, you know, I, I think just North Carolina buzz is very, very real. Um, not going to shock me at all if he commits to North Carolina. Um, we all know in recruiting you never really know. But um, that, that, me personally, that that's the sense I'm getting. And, um, you know, I know he, he's still in touch with South Carolina. It's not something where everything's just shut down or anything. But, uh, yeah, I think they're going to have to keep working here if they're going to get J.J. Jones. But, but he also falls in a category for me where – you know, even even if he commits to another school next week, uh, you know, he, he had planned to take a lot of visits before he decided. So, um, you know, I, I really think this is a guy, not 
not saying he's even a, a kid who's, who's wishy-washy because I don't think that he is, but I, I just think uh, given that he didn't get to take a bunch of visits this spring like he wanted to, um, you know, that may be in the cards where he, he tries to take some visits even after he commits, I think. In the case of South Carolina, you know, it makes sense, and we've talked about it, I guess, with regard to them, obviously already getting a couple of four-star guys. In, uh, they have, what, six commits right now in the class of 2021, and two of them are four-stars, and it's like, yeah, that's a you know a pretty solid start to the class. Uh, but again, we have all talked about how it, it may just be sort of a trend, and we may see more guys decommitting and taking visits later in the recruiting process. But uh, And I asked Chris this on uh, Tuesday, so I'm curious to get your take. For South Carolina, so much of, uh, I think – uh, the class of 2021 was going to be was I imagine kind of playing wait and see with so much up in the air. Um, you know, obviously the upheaval and finishing four and eight and President Caslin saying the things that he said and all the staff turnover late in the process of putting together the class of 2020. It's impressive that Carolina kept them all together, but it, it always felt more likely because they already had those relationships and the guys were already interested in committing to going to South Carolina. They had a lot of time to think about it. They had finished their you know last seasons and and things like that before. You know the you know proverbial uh, defecation hit the rotating oscillator to steal a phrase from my pre-calculus teacher a you know more PC version of uh, the the other way to say it but with a lot of guys probably now playing wait and see to say okay well you know if Carolina goes four and eight again if they go five and seven again even if they go six and six there's a chance that I'm not going to be playing for the coach that recruited me you know assistants or head coaches or anything there's going to be a huge staff turnover and it, it seems like players maybe more than ever put a premium on program stability. Is that going to hurt South Carolina in a recruiting landscape where guys maybe are committing more early and, and don't have as many chances to go take on-campus visits? Because it sounds like that might be the case here with J.J. Jones. Yeah, I think from a broad uh, picture and you know with just J.J. Jones himself, I, I think it has kind of hurt them a, a little bit. Um, you know, a, a big thing South Carolina has had going for it is um, obviously the new football ops building. Uh, you can send videos all you want. You can do FaceTimes. You can do pictures. Uh, you, you don't get the sense of all that um, in, unless you see it in person. I, I think this coaching staff is really good um, in, in front of kids, you know, actually meeting them, looking them in the eyes, meeting their families, and, and spending time with them. Um, this staff builds good relationships that way. Um, you know, I, I think when you look at this whole – thing when it started we didn't know which way it was going to go were, were kids going to wait and see um and, and i mean just across the country not with south carolina you know as far as how the pandemic was going to affect them um it, it's sort of gone the other way and i think in the case of like a tennessee or a north carolina as far as their numbers go they start to fill up and th they can then start to put pressure on kids hey we only have one more spot at your position if you want it, you better take it. So then you have that aspect at play here as well. So um, there, there's always a lot of layers to, to recruiting and the recruiting process. But I, I think the other part of this, I, I'm convinced, I've said this a few times, I think kids are bored at home. And I think they're seeing that their their friends are committing and it, it started a trend. And, and, you know, everybody sort of wants to get on and, you know, get on that and sort of, get their get their attention as well but but certainly once kids can visit schools again which we, we don't know when that will be yet there's going to be a lot of committed guys visiting other schools I, I think for everybody and and I I think the commitment timing has been pushed way up this uh, cycle but I also think there's going to be way more decommitments in this cycle 
than there have been. So I guess one thing that I'm going to start asking you guys, you know, I love to ask you to uh, make a player comparison in terms of NCAA football, in terms of their tendencies and things like that. But I guess one other thing that I'm going to ask uh, for Carolina guys and, you know, maybe guys that Carolina is going after but end up committing elsewhere is how open will their recruitment be after commitment? So let's say uh, J.J. Jones goes ahead and inks with North Carolina West. How open do you think his recruitment will still be throughout the remainder of the process? Yeah, I think it's a good question. Um, you know, he really honestly uh, has been a, a level-headed kid. He's attacked the process um, f- from that mindset. I, I think I think there will always be a little bit of a nudge from, you know, for an in-state guy, there will always be some in-state pressure, I think, to stay home. So that will continue. I, I think the thing to watch for J.J. will be, does he visit South Carolina at some point after committing? I think if, if he visits South Carolina, then that's your sign that he's still very open. Uh, that will give him the, the thing with JJ Jones. You know, he obviously Joe Cox was here on staff, but Joe Cox was not the wide receivers coach um, last time JJ Jones visited. The last time JJ Jones could visit, you know, so um, that's an element there at play where if South Carolina could have just gotten him up to you know Columbia and let him spend some time with Joe Cox you know, maybe that helps them change some things here, uh, assuming, you know, it is going to be North Carolina. So, you know, I'm kind of torn on him because J.J. himself does not seem like the type of kid who's going to, you know, go back and forth after he's committed. But just the circumstances of everything would at least make you think that there's a chance that, that he continues to, to look at a couple other schools. Hmm. So you're telling me there's a chance. That's where Carolina fans should expect to stand on J.J. Jones. Uh, another name that people are very interested to uh, hear where he, I guess, doesn't, we're not talking about inking, but, you know, commits to go early in this process, uh, Chris, is Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, uh, another local kid. That's a commitment that uh, is expected to come this weekend. Well, you know, Pearson, that that is the question, <laughs> and we have not been able to get a direct answer from Tyrion about, you know, whether or not he plans to. So, sort of to, to go over the timeline, he very abruptly sort of said via Twitter a few days ago, you know, hey, I'm going to announce on Sunday at 3 p.m., and then he came behind that not too long after, uh, once <laughs> I think once a bunch of college coaches started hitting him up, you know, trying to figure out, even people at Gaffney hitting him up, trying to figure out what was going on, what he was thinking, and et cetera, and said, hey, I need some more time before I decide on Sunday. So I've talked to some people about it, and sort of the latest we've we've gathered is that it's, nobody's totally sure. I, I did hear, you know, we're recording this on Thursday. On Wednesday night, you know, there was a thought that he's pushing the entire thing back. Um the way it was worded sounded like, hey, I'm I'm still doing it Sunday, but I'm not sure. So it was worded sort of odd, and, and we haven't gotten a, a, a full-fledged, you know, confirmation one way or another. But here's the thing, Pearson, you know, you, you asked that about J.J. With Ingram Dawkins, there's plenty of reason to believe that that one's going long, you know. Like, it's a, it's a long-haul type of thing. Uh, you never know. Maybe he shuts it down and totally he commits somewhere and totally shuts it down, but that would sort of fly in the face of how this thing's gone. It would be totally opposite of how it's gone. You know, the last several months, it's been very active on social media, very involved in the recruiting process, talking to coaches. Um, and and I think Ingram Dawkins himself is conflicted about the decision. And look, you know, 
no no visits since February for anybody. And so some guys have committed, some guys have taken a more measured approach and said, I'm going to wait, you know, go take some visits. But a lot of these guys that are committing early, including guys in Tennessee's class, for example, they got 21 commitments, have already said to South Carolina and others, I'm, I'm coming to take a visit in the fall. And for me, hypothetically, if Ingram Dawkins committed somewhere else, I have a hard time believing he wouldn't be in Williams-Brice, um, provided recruiting visitors are allowed in, in the stadium, you know, uh, th- this year. I would have a hard time believing he's not. But that said, you know, probably the question everybody has is, you know, what are South Carolina's chances? And there have even been some conflicting things on that. But many folks that we've talked to feel like South Carolina has had the best shot, but there's also some concern about it because Tennessee's had some confidence along the way Georgia's been in it. I think it's a little bit murky right now, but whether it's short-term or long-term, I think it's one South Carolina's going to have a good shot with. All right, Wes, a couple other guys that have, uh, I guess, announced that they're planning to make decisions at a certain time, which is, you know, kind of funny. It's like they're, they're not announcing a commitment. They're announcing an announcement, which is kind of funny. But two other guys that we've heard about, and I'll, I'll give you both of them, and you can talk about one. I'll let Chris talk about the other. Uh, Zaire Patterson and Javari Ritzy. Uh, pick whichever one you want and leave the other for Chris. Yeah, I'm going to take the easy one. Um, Javari Ritzy, a guy that uh, will be committing on June 12th, um, South Carolina has been in it with this kid forever. They've had him on campus. Um, you know, I think he really honestly likes the Gamecocks and their coaches a lot. But um, I'd, I'd be surprised if this one is not North Carolina. Um, you know, they, they've been in a good position for a while now, I think. And um, he's really just – a lot of these in-state guys for, for North Carolina have just bought into the idea of, of let's all go to the same place and, and try to build something – um, you know, and, and it's worked for the Tar Heels, Mac Brown, you know, give the guy credit. I think personally, I, I sort of ro- almost rolled my eyes when they hired him. And I'm like, God, everybody else wants like a young, cool coach. Um, and they're hiring this old guy and bringing back somebody from, you know, from decades before. And, uh, but he, he's done, he's done a great job recruiting. So yeah, I think, uh, I think Javari is pretty, um, don't you think Chris Javari is pretty clear North Carolina right now? I'd be surprised otherwise. Yeah, that's sort of everybody that we've spoken to behind the scenes. That's the expectation. Now, is that one where South Carolina will continue swinging? I'm sure. I'm sure. They've had him on campus. Ritzy likes South Carolina. His family likes South Carolina. I think North Carolina just has a has the most momentum there. I agree. All right, well, Chris West has left Zaire Patterson for you. What is the latest on Zaire Patterson's recruitment? Yeah, definitely the, the harder of the two to peg. Um, you know, Patterson is, is more difficult because he's, he's quiet. You know, he has a pretty small circle. He doesn't do a ton of media, hasn't done a lot lately. Um, you know, South Carolina got a really early jump with him, and they've had him on campus a bunch. I remember, you know, for example, just – in the early part of last year, they had him in for the spring game last year and a summer camp. He went and worked out with the coaches, Mike Peterson. He was back during the season, if I'm not mistaken, for at least a game. But, you know, the you know competition increased. Um, obviously, over time, that the season happened. It was, look, to call it like it is, the season's been difficult for South Carolina because not only was it a four-win season, but it created a lot of questions you know, in terms of stability. And so that that's affected a lot of recruits. 
And uh, I would say Patterson probably falls in that category. It makes sense. And he's got, you know, Clemson um, in the mix, North Carolina in the mix. And so the biggest question with him is why has he moved his decision timeline up? It's sort of maybe he's just tired of it. Maybe he wants to jump in on a spot. And so a lot of people have speculated, well, he's moved it up to commit to North Carolina because, they, they, you know, their class has a, has a lot of guys in it too right now. But there's been some mixed opinions some people think North Carolina is in the league, in the lead, and they have some confidence on that front. Uh, we, we've also heard from some folks close to Patterson that North Carolina is not as, as much in the mix, and so that, that's been sort of interesting to track. Um, some people think it's more of a South Carolina Clemson battle. I think Clemson's sort of been lurking there, behind the scenes. Um, you know, really, they've only had one more defensive end spot in this class because. Uh, the, the kid from California, Corey Foreman, backed off his commitment recently and opened things back up. So they have a spot. And, and a lot of people think, hey, Patterson's the guy they've, they've come back to. South Carolina's been in on him a long time. So I do feel confident it'll be one of North Carolina, South Carolina, Clemson. It's just it's been hard for everyone involved to peg that one. I do think it's really interesting and it's honestly confusing, you know, sort of the mixed messages about North Carolina. Um, I don't think you can discount Clemson. I don't think you can discount South Carolina either. So that one's not quite as clear cut. Hmm. So you would say North Carolina, South Carolina, Clemson, but it'll be close. <laughs> it'll, def- it'll definitely be close. You there know, you it, it may it may not be close. If, if Patterson has a decision date set, the way that he operates, I would imagine he's got his school in mind. But – I don't think people have been able to pinpoint as much, you know, where it is now. And could there be some misdirection going on by people close to Patterson or some of the schools and, you know, sort of the, the puppet master type thing. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe that's happened before, um, but it's, it's just been tougher to actually get a handle on, okay, this is the school because you know, some people you talk to, they say it's South Carolina Clemson battle. Um, some people say, hey, it's North Carolina. I mean, it, it's just been tough to peg. It's Final Four includes those three schools in Alabama. We don't think it's Alabama. Um, we, we think it's one of those three. But beyond that, it's been sort of difficult. Hmm. I, I don't think – I don't think – it's not like one where we hear beforehand, hey, this is this is the school. Like sometimes heading into announcements – you know, we have a pretty good indication of which school it's going to be, whether it's South Carolina or somebody else. We haven't heard that here. So maybe that means it's not South Carolina. I could certainly see that. But I don't think you discount South Carolina at this point yet. I don't think it makes as much sense to move it up mm-hmm. and announce if it's South Carolina. But, you know, again, that's sort of more reading tea leaves as opposed to information right now. One other wrinkle, and this is you know maybe part of why we've seen uh, it's what it seems like a lot of kids, or maybe it's just a lot of kids that Carolina has on their board, uh, but a lot of kids moving up their decision dates and, and announcing their announcements and things like that is that the dead period for I, I guess recruiting in college football right now has been extended uh, until June thirtieth. Now it's funny because uh, it, it wasn't long before the shutdown that I had y'all kind of go over the recruiting calendar, and I said you know I, I'm never going to remember this, but you know just put it on the record and I can revisit it to, you know, help jog my memory. And now that we've done that, now that we put it on the record to help everybody, this has gone completely out the window. Uh, so Chris, just lay it out for me. Where do we stand right now? The, the dead period extends from where we are exactly right now through June 30th. Are they doing anything to make up for that? Are they like 
are they basically moving a dead period from elsewhere in the year up to now-ish to extend it, or is this just going to be a year where it's basically all dead period? Yeah, now that is the question. Um, there is another situation um, where it's okay to be wishy-washy and say, I don't know. We, we really don't. It, it's been a moving target the whole time, and that's why as things have continued to evolve and plans have been made for the season, et cetera, you know, it's constantly this this push pull of, you know, not not trying to make a decision. For example, they weren't going to say in in March, all right, no recruiting until next January. I mean, that would have been sort of silly, you know. They they weren't going to place it too far out. So what we've seen is we've seen a couple, two or three maybe different instances of hey, we're, let's update, let, let's give another month of here's where things are. You know, no more in person recruiting. Hey, we're going to relax some of these certain rules to do more remote recruiting stuff. For example, unlimited phone calls. Um, you know, Amarius Mims, he's a five-star offensive tackle from Georgia, I think tweeted the other day, got like 32, 36 phone calls from coaches in one day the other day. So we've seen some stuff like that. But it, it's been a, it, it's constantly just been this moving target of, you know, we'll, we'll move things out a month and then reassess from there. So from that standpoint, we're really not sure when in-person recruiting is going to come back. What we have thought along the way is that they'll figure out the season first because once you figure out the season, you know, hey, can we start on time? That's number one. If you figure out, yeah, we're starting on time or that's our target, then we got to figure out when the players can come back, when the coaches can come back. And so once they have their, their time frame of being able to prepare, then you can fit in recruiting because coaches, and we mentioned this before, are coaches are going to want to be able to have most of their focus devoted on their team. So, you know, do, do you start – do you go through the entire summer without any in-person recruiting? That's very possible. I mean, you remember we've been saying on this show for quite a while, Pearson, that we heard early in the, early in the going of this recruiting quarantine that may not be any in-person recruiting until, you know, September, and it may be later. And it's sort of looking like that may happen. You know, what, where we normally are in the recruiting process in a normal year is, you know, you get the spring evaluation period from April 15th to May 31st where coaches are on the road and prospects are allowed to visit. Then you get camp season in June. At the end of June through the end of July, there's a dead period for about a month to give everybody a break. So, you know, in theory – you could say, all right, now we're going to replace that. So now that we've had this lengthy dead period through the end of June, we can put a live period from June 30th to July 31st. Well, here's the problem with that. You know, by the end of June, the players may be back, you know, working out, having their, their time to prepare before the season. It's entirely possible. What if they got six to eight weeks? So that's why it may get pushed back. It's just it's really hard to tell, man, what, what they're going to do with it. I don't think anybody knows yet. I think everybody's going to have their different plans and their different opinions, and I have to figure it out from there. But I think everything, whether it's season prep or it's recruiting, is going to be really condensed this year. If I had to, like, place a bet on it, I would say in-person recruiting is not back until at least full go, you know, until the season. But that's really just a guess right now. Hmm. All right, well, Wes, unless you want to chime in on that specifically, I want to shift gears to something else that Chris touched on there just with regards to obviously an unknown, um, really just wait and see. But are you hearing anything about, not the recruiting side of it, but when the actual 
football team as presently constituted, including incoming freshmen, is going to be back on campus because, again, right now South Carolina has said that they plan to have students back on campus for a normal fall semester by the middle of August. It seems like there is room for exceptions for smaller groups of students, you know, kind of gradually making their way back onto campus throughout the course of the summer. Uh, does that include the football team? And if so, is this uh, early June, mid-June, early July, or are you hearing anything about that? I mean, frankly, um, honestly, I hadn't heard anything specifically. Um, I had talked to a couple of people last week who were sort of directly involved in all that, and, you know, they they were just waiting to see as well, like uh, basically waiting on somebody else to tell them what they need to do as far as uh, when the players need to get back and, and be ready to get back and, and all that stuff. So, uh, no, I think if you look at the verbiage of the original letter from Caslin, which said there will be certain groups um, on campus during the summer, I think that's, I mean, directly talking about uh, the football team. And, and I think there are going to be measures in place. Um, you know, I thought one of the interesting things Caslin said was basically they, they want to test every single uh, just student athlete, every single student before they come back on campus in the fall. So I think um, the, the summer you, you want to go ahead and start putting some of those measures in place, bring back the football players whenever that date is. I think uh, what testing is available, uh, you know, as far as that timetable is probably a, a big part of that conversation. Um, do you have the ability to quickly test every single player? Um, then do you, you know, do you implement temperature checks as they walk into the ops building? Um, how, you know, how, how do you handle all that stuff? I, I think, and is it uh, logistically, are you in a position to handle all that stuff? I, I, I think South Carolina, you know, and imagine the rest of the SEC will have um, a, uh, a specific plan for how to handle this. You're not just going to bring everybody back um, with, with no plan in place for all those things. So I, I don't know a timetable. I, I do think it'll be interesting, like, like Chris said, um, I will weigh in a little bit on the recruiting stuff. It's going to be almost impossible from a time management standpoint and logistics standpoint if you know if you're having your your preseason camp like your fall camp um, and it's probably going to be compressed anyway. It would be very very difficult to be having recruiting visits while you were doing that. Mm -hmm. um, I I think the one thing that may be possible would be let's say. You know, let, let's say Muschamp were to get his way and you were to have four weeks of just um, conditioning and then four weeks of a training camp, mm -hmm. which we, we don't know if, um, if that's going to be the case at all. But if that were the case and the guys are with the strength staff, which is what is, you know, for the most part during the actual um, part where you're, you're not doing football yet, you're just conditioning you could maybe sneak in a three or four week visit situation there where the, the coaching staff uh, could then meet with, you know, pr prospective student athletes on recruiting visits and then go dead again when you actually went to the football preseason camp part, potentially. Um, but, but again, that, that's nothing. That's just my speculation. And, and even with recruiting visits, you're going to have to have some regulations in place because you're bringing in people from other parts of the country, you know? So you, you don't, you don't want to bring in the virus from outside. Like 
you know, go through all these precautions to make sure your current team is healthy and they've all been tested. And yes, they're all together, but they've all been tested at that point in theory and then bring in someone from the outside and potentially infect your entire team. So I think you've got to be careful from a virus standpoint about uh, how we go back to recruiting as well. So this is just going to be the biggest asterisk in the history of recruiting, right? And, and I started this thing anticipating that it might benefit some, not even like smaller schools, but like the the non like elite seven or eight programs in the country because it would be more about relationships, guys that were in early. Uh, but now you know I'm foreseeing a scenario where it could end up. I mean, just kind of I don't want to say being bad for everybody, but I mean this this is going to be weird and and it's going to be really hard to not give people a pass. For this class of 2021, but it could have it could, it could be impacting college football for the next four years. I mean, it, it's I'll weigh in on the, on that. You know, it, it is. I think one of the key questions that we still got to figure out is just how they're going to handle it. You know, just like we came into this sort of segment of the recruiting cycle, saying, okay, how is this going to affect things? Is, is this going to be good for a school like South Carolina or bad? Is it going to accelerate some prospects' commitment timetables or push them back? And I think we have seen some of both. I mean, the guys who are committing early um, have been highlighted more, particularly because we're looking around and going, how in the world is school getting, you know, 15, 20 commitments at a time where no visits are allowed? You know, so that's been highlighted more. But there there have been some guys, and including some Gamecock targets, that said, look, I'm pumping the brakes. I want to go take some visits. Some prospects haven't really been anywhere at all. And so, you know, we do have to wait and see, okay, are more guys going to, you know, when can prospects visit again? How much time, how many opportunities will they have? And then, hey, are guys going to, assuming we still have an early signing period in December, are more guys going to wait until February so that they can – take more time in January. Will the NCAA even say, hey, let's, I mean, I haven't heard this, but I'm just, I'm just wondering, thinking out loud about it, will they say, you know what, we're going to move back um, the, the second signing day and we're going to stick this thing in March or something. And we're going to extend recruiting visits and allow official visits next January and February. I mean, I think all these things, I, I don't know if that's in the cards or if it's even been discussed, but I think it's something we need to think about before, you know, before we're able to make a proper assessment. And so, yes, recruiting is always going to affect teams' chances of success. If you recruit well, you're going to be good. Most likely, if you don't, you're not going to be good. Uh, we know that for sure. you got to have talent to win. And so, you know, I think it's been interesting to see South Carolina. That there was a school of thought coming in of, hey, could this be good? Because, you know, prospects, for the most part, I mean, they can't go anywhere, so will this be good or will it not? We've seen some of both. We do know that they need as many guys to either push their decisions back or if they commit somewhere else to stay open. And and I I would lay good odds on there's going to be some guys committed to other schools that show up on campus this fall at South Carolina. I, I think for them, the even bigger question is just how do they perform on the field this year? Mm -hmm. You know, because in the cutthroat Southeast recruiting, coronavirus or not, there are going to be guys committed to other schools going to other, other campuses. You know, right. I think just this has accelerated it a little bit for certain guys in terms of committing early. Well, and Chris, you said Tennessee has what, like 20 guys committed or something? Some ridiculous yeah, number already? 21. They got 21. Yeah. Mm. Wow. And it's May 
the 14th right now when we're recording this. Uh, the other part of this, uh, and again, I guess as we sort of move away from recruiting but into more unknown territory, and we've talked about some contingency plans as the thought of them has arisen throughout the course of the last couple weeks. But I think since we last talked, uh, Ray Tanner has talked about you know contingency plans for Williams Bryce. Again, it seems like they're going to try to have football back in Columbia, South Carolina on September 5th, starting the season when it should start, how much training camp they get still remains to be seen. But as of right now, uh, that is the plan. But when we're talking about things looking a lot different, I think williams Bryce Stadium is going to look a lot different. Maybe not completely empty, but capped to as little as or as few as 15,000 people in the stands. Uh, Wes, I'm not asking you to give your uh, take as a medical professional, which I know is also your your side hustle, but just uh, just in terms of the optics, just in terms of like the football part of it, how big of a difference does that make if you only have 15,000 people in there? And is it even feasible to implement that kind of social distancing in the stadium? I, I, I tend to think it is feasible. Is it is it going to be perfect? I mean, I mean, no, probably not. But is it going to be better than trying to jam everybody in there? Uh, will there be exceptions where – you know, maybe it doesn't hold up like like it's planned, uh, of course. But you know, I think if that's the way they decide to go, then uh, yeah, it is feasible. I, I think it's more about obviously you can't just spread everybody out. I, I think it's going to be sort of about finding a way to implement like a grouping structure where people that are traveling together and tailgating together and then sitting together. You know, maybe you have a group of four people that those people are all together. Then you have a space and then you have a group of six people and all those people that were together anyway are together. Cause it doesn't make any sense to just sort of split everybody like, you know, with a seat in between everybody. Yeah. We're just sitting um, in like a diamond formation. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, that doesn't make sense, but I think the interesting and the thing that I think is brought up by the fans the most has been, well, who gets in, like who gets priority. And that's going to be a big part of the equation as well. But um, to that, my, my response has always been, well, would you rather have football or not? I mean, would it would it stink to, to be the, the person that gets left out? Absolutely. But um, would you rather be the one left out and have football or, or be the person that says, well, if I can't go, I don't even, you know, nobody can go. Now, that doesn't really make sense. So I think we're going to have football in, in some form or fashion. Will it look weird? Yes. Will it affect the atmosphere? Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that makes college football great is that you have such an intensity from the crowd, and it, it will look it's going to look really, really weird to pan down and see a big SEC matchup and a stadium, you know, three-fourths empty. Will there be some things – will there be – is there anything that schools will do – and I don't have the answers – is there anything that schools will do to make it just look uh, more normal? Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know how you do that. But so maybe somebody smarter than me will come up with an idea because um, you, it's not going to be a situation where, you know, in in some situations you can like basically shut down an entire section of a stadium and you've seen it in, at the professional ranks they'll like tarp off that area that mm-hmm. doesn't make sense because you're you're losing valuable real estate where you could be spreading people out and you're already not selling um, as many tickets as you want to so yeah well, well i thought about that too it's like yeah. maybe you just put people in the lower bowl so that it it looks more full it's like well you, you still you can't put more people in the lower bowl it's the same amount so you're just kind of costing yourself uh you know the 
the the ticket prices of all the other seats in the upper deck. And and then you're not social distancing. You're actually packing. That doesn't look good at all because you're packing people closer together. You know, I, I think, um, you know, so you have to spread them out. Is there something that will be done digitally to make it look more, uh, you know, normal on TV? Just insert Maybe the fans so. from NCAA football, like those little, <laughs> like the little pixelated people I mean, in the background. I mean, seriously, is is it's and that's that's weird. Obviously, it's very weird. But I mean, is, is that a possibility? I, I think so. Would I mean? Jeez. Could you let could you let people design their? Could you let people put you know put a picture, like upload a picture, and then digitally have themselves in the stadium um, when you watch on TV? I don't know. Every time when there's a new situation that we've never seen before, somebody smart comes up with a way to, to sort of either capitalize on it financially or um, or, or try and, and maybe bring something new to the table. So I don't know what that looks like, but I mean, are, are there, if I'm, if I'm a school, I'm looking for a way or maybe even the, the TV companies, I'm looking for a way to fill in some of that space with um, with some advertising graphics, honestly, because everybody's going to be hurting financially, and, and maybe that's a way to um, try and recoup some of, of what's lost. Is yeah. uh, can can you add more advertising, um, either from a school standpoint, like physical advertising in the stadium, or from a digital advertising standpoint where people are just seeing it at home? Um, is there a way to maybe? recoup some of your losses from less fans by um selling more advertising and putting it in place of fans maybe i i I don't know i don't like i said i don't know what that looks like we're just spitballing but i think there will be some opportunity for some sort of creative ideas that that could be mixed in there with Mm -hmm. a a half empty stadium or a three-fourths empty stadium i should say yeah well i mean it is it's so weird to think about my my one hesitation um again like you you hit on one of the things that's been a concern for me. It's like if you're trying to social distance everybody, what if you have a family that, you know, buys four season tickets every year and they want to sit together and it's like, okay, well, we have to let them do that. But how are you going to know that other people that haven't been like social distancing together and don't normally spend time together? Like there's going to be a lot of honor code. Cause what if it's just a bunch of friends that want to sit together cause they miss each other and they miss sitting at a game together, but they actually haven't been together. You know, how do you regulate things like that? And the other part of it, that's, I mean, kind of impossible. And this is where I, I look, I understand like you have to social distance, you have to implement some of this stuff. And I mean, it's it's the job of the university to try to keep people safe as much as possible. But if you're comfortable going into Williams-Brice Stadium this fall, you are comfortable assuming that risk. And I'm not saying that it should, they should just open it up to be full capacity. But even if you only let 15,000 people into the stadium, there are bottlenecks. Everyone enters the stadium in the same places. Even if you try to spread it out, even if you try to social distance the lines, people are going to walk past each other as they're walking through the tunnels, as they're walking through the concourse, into the stadium, uh, you know, using the bathroom, standing in line for concessions. And, Chris, I'll ask you this. I, I know you're a professional and, you know, not a, a you know fan, so to speak, but just put yourself in the mind of a fan. You're sitting six feet away from somebody on one of the bleachers on the west lower section. And Marshawn Lloyd scores his first touchdown, and it's a 56-yard touchdown run, and he breaks 11 tackles and, you know, grows eagle wings out of the back of his shoulder pads and flies into the end zone. Are you not going to run down the aisle and high five the person sitting closest to you? Well, I mean, 
there's certainly some of that that's going to happen. I think if you're South Carolina, what you have to do, and when I say South Carolina, I mean, you know, as an athletic department, as a university, and even when you're talking about conferences and NCAA at large, you know, take it out all the way up to that level. You've got to think about what can we do to make it as safe as possible. So it's, it's, it's different, but, you know, similar to how some of these restaurants are, you know, opening up, you know, limited capacity inside outdoor seating with certain, you know, specifications, churches, you know, for instance, are going to open back up. Our, our church is about to do, you know, they're going to start doing outdoor services with a lot of different protocols. So, I mean, you, you don't have in anything that you're reopening, you don't have any way to prevent people. You can't shackle them in the stadium, you know, and say, we're chaining you to your seat. You can't do that. So some people are going to have to be wise about it. And there will be a segment of people, I imagine, that are going to say, nah, I'm not going. I'm staying home because I'm either high risk or I'm, I'm not high risk. I just don't want to go um, for whatever reason. There are going to be some people who are going to go no matter what. They could literally test positive walking into the gate and would want to go into the game and not care. You know, I mean, you're going to get all those different, I think, types of people and experiences. So you can't protect 100% about it. What what you can do is put all the protocols that you possibly can into place. And so limiting the attendance is one thing. Maybe you have to stagger, you know, how many, you know, maybe you have to have people out there ensuring people who are in line, for example, to, to get actually get into the game that they're distancing. Maybe you have to have more event staff that are walking up and down the aisles, making sure people are, are staying apart. I, I don't know what those solutions are. You know, maybe, maybe, you know, you guys have probably been to the grocery store where they've got the, the arrows, you know, go up and down these certain aisles and people generally don't pay attention to them. But maybe on the ramps, you do that. I mean, there there are a lot of different things that they're going to have to look at doing. But I think the reality is that it's it's happening. You know, like the football season is going to happen, and there's probably going to be fans in the stands just very limited. And so I think they're going to have to come up with a lot of different things for the fans and then the players, you know, that Wes hit on is the other aspect of it. Well, Wes, there was something else that you hit on that I want to come back to as well because you, you were talking about, obviously, if you live together, if you're a family, it makes sense to allow those people to sit together. But you mentioned people that are tailgating together. Is there going to be tailgating or is South Carolina going to – because, I mean, I guess they they own that entire property and I guess the, you know, the fairgrounds are in the fairgrounds. But if you're tailgating like right around the stadium, that's a university jurisdiction. The fairgrounds will have their own. There are other places that, that are independently owned that are going to have you know probably their own regulations for tailgating. But are we going to see more tailgating because fewer people can go in, so more people are going to want to go to the game and just stay outside? So it's going to be a bigger crowd out there, which doesn't really solve anything. If anything, makes your your, your issue a little bit worse. Or do you think you'll see the university clamp down on, on tailgating in the state fairgrounds and some of the places that are right around uh, williams Price Stadium try to clamp down and limit the amount of people that can tailgate for games? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's yet another question without an answer. I mean, I, I think you're probably, obviously, Gamecock Park is one thing, but these other areas, you're probably getting kind of outside of, of the university's jurisdiction as far as what they're going to have control over. Um, you know, a lot of those lots and businesses are, you know, owned by um, people other than the university. So I think that in, unless there's some – citywide or you know statewide 
um, ordinance or something that, that puts something in place there. Uh, I think it's just going to be up to the people and, and what they want to do, and it'll be um, you know, up to them whether I, – I think the thing about this is you want to give people who, who want to go to the game but want to do it um, as safely as possible an opportunity to still be able to go to the game. So if they want to go out there and tailgate, then uh, you know that's up to them. If they want to skip that and go straight to the game and hopefully be distanced, then um, – you know that that's on them as well. I think you know you mentioned the people that weren't um, that were just wanting to watch the game together, but weren't living together. I mean, I I don't think that we're nec- I don't think any regulations for football are necessarily concerned with those people because if if you want to hang out with your friends anyway, then you're going to hang out with your friends. You know, so whether you do that at Williams Park right. Stadium or whether you do that at their house. Um, isn't really a concern of, of the university or really anyone's. Mm-hmm. I think it's just about letting those people, the people that are going to spend time together, be in their own sort of seats together, and then there being some space from them to, to where the next group of people um, is, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And, you know, I, I think by that point, when, when all this started, it was, hey, don't be in groups more than 10. And then it sort of whittled down to, you know, don't basically don't, hang out with anybody that you're not living with. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think by then there will be aspects where, pe- I mean, people are going to hang out with their friends again. I mean, especially, I mean, how many months is that from now? Uh, four months from now. Yeah. So, uh, you know, people, people are going to be spending time with, with their friends. So I, I don't, I don't think who you're with at the game is necessarily a concern of the university. It's just, you know, a, it's about letting people who are still concerned about it, get in there and feel safe doing it as safe as possible, but also there's a liability aspect to this as well. And, and I, it would be naive not to think that that's a factor because it is. You, As a company, and like Chris mentioned, restaurants, and some of that's being obviously sent down to where they're being told, hey, this is how you have to do things. But um, there's a liability aspect where you have to try and do your business but do it in as safe of a way as possible, and that's going to be decided – um, you know, sometimes by the state, sometimes by, um, I guess the CDC has guidelines and stuff like that. So there, there's so many different things that, at play here. But, um, yeah, and, you know, then there's the aspect of is is it really that dangerous? And I'm asking this question again. I'm not saying it is or isn't. Is it really that dangerous to be out tailgating with your friends? Even if you are in a group, if you there's enough space in between you, you're in the outdoors. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of the research I've read, and all, there's, there, you can find a study. The thing is, you can find a study that will that will sort of uh, con- confirm your bias on this thing because there's so many stories out there right now. You can find a study that will tell you about anything yeah. at yeah. this point. But I, I do know that there's at least a thought process that being in the outdoors, um, outside, spread out, that there's not near as much risk as if you were, you know, inside a room with people and you're like sort of sharing the same air mm-hmm. um, in that in that sense. So it will it be is it that dangerous to actually be outside, spread out, tailgating? Hopefully by then we continue to have more information on the virus and how it spreads and what exactly you need to worry about because there's always going to be some risk. But I think it's just about minimizing that risk. Right. 
Oh, man. Okay, well, a lot of uncertainty there, but a, a lot of interesting things to think about as well. And, you know, we, we've played this out, uh, you know, on our local shows. Uh, Jay and I have, and Eric and I have, um, and it's good to get some more perspectives on what this could look like because, uh, again, it's all kind of – it's just up in the air. It's uncertain. And, and you're exactly right, Wes, when you talk about how, how little we know. It's, I mean, it's just like, like epistemology in general, but it's like the more you know, the more you know you know nothing kind of deal, which has, I, I think, been the most frustrating thing about this. Um, uh, there's one other thing that I want to get to uh, before we get out of here today. Again, it's, it's uncertain. It's hypothetical, but it's just something else that could look different. With this college football season, um, obviously 13 of the 14 SEC schools have said that they plan to be back on campus for a normal fall semester uh, You know, by about mid-August when, when the semester would be getting started. Uh, Vanderbilt, the one holdout, which, as a side note, always scares me when the smart kids are doing something that, that nobody else is doing. I'm like, ah, maybe more people should be following Vanderbilt's lead just in general. Um, but the uh, there is a very, very real possibility that if Vanderbilt says they're not going to play, Obviously, a lot of the California state schools have shut down earlier this week. That, like, of the twenty-three satellite campuses of Cal, it's like UCLA is not included in this, and I think Cal Berkeley not included in this, but like everything else, like San Diego State, Fresno State, all those other schools, uh, already planning on just having online classes for the fall, so they're not going to be playing football there. If anything arises, you know, like LSU right now is planning to be back by the middle of August, um, but it's also possible that there's a, a, another spike and there's another outbreak and they might have to shut things down again and Carolina's scheduled to play Vanderbilt this year and they're scheduled to play um, you know LSU this year and and all those schools have teams on their schedule so what is going to happen if your opponent your scheduled opponent isn't able to play because of a shutdown uh, due to COVID-19 uh, yesterday saw a tweet um, go by that basically the the conferences are having discussions about trying to schedule home and homes with teams within their conference Chris do you know anything about this? How hard is this to put together, and and how realistic is it? Do you think that we'll see Carolina maybe play a home and home with Kentucky and Missouri this year to to make up for lost opponents elsewhere in the schedule? So, I mean, first of all, as it pertains to South Carolina, I don't really know. I don't know if they're going to have to end up playing teams twice. If I had to guess, I would say no because I think <laughs> that you know SEC schools, Clemson you know, the schools that South Carolina has on the schedule, it looks like those are all at least moving towards playing, you know. Um, and I haven't heard specifically otherwise. Now, all this, again, there, there's still an element of everything, whether it's recruiting, on-field stuff, fans, whatever, that's touch and go. And there's still ways to go, so maybe things improve. Maybe they get a little worse, and there has to be some changes made. But, I mean, we haven't heard anything about that. There has been some talk nationally about, hey, you know, all the California schools, obviously, things are way more up in the air for them. And so people, I think, look at the Pac-12 and they go, are those guys going to play? Well, yes, the Pac-12 actually has been for quite a while behind the scenes. My understanding from what I've picked up in sort of college football circles, those guys have, have really been on the forefront of wanting to play and putting some protocols in place and some plans. It's been just all the schools – and look, I think the California schools, most of them would probably be good with playing, but they're not allowed and they can't do much about it. So, you know, for those schools, I think it may be more of a problem. You know, when you've got, okay, say you've got Southern Cal on your schedule, which Alabama does, you know, hey, what do they do? I don't know if it pertains as much because of, you know, whether it's geography or, you know, I don't know, ideology or whatever the research is here you know, it's just a little bit different than out there. And so 
I think that may not apply as much to South Carolina this year. We certainly haven't heard any like legitimate worry of, okay, this school is backing out or, or not right now. I don't know if that's much of an issue as it is certainly an issue for some schools, you know, out West or who have schools out West on their schedule this year. Uh, I think it's more of a problem for them right now. Well, Wes, I don't know if I've asked you all this explicitly, but I, I imagine that we are in some agreement here. I'm in favor of conference expansion. Obviously, what the Pac-12 and the Big Ten now are playing nine conference games. Everyone else still playing eight. I think the SEC should play more. Uh, I think they should play. I think they should eliminate just the, like the useless, meaningless games. In a perfect world for me, I think there would be ten conference games, and then you schedule two, yeah, probably two Power Five non-conference opponents, or maybe one Power Five non-con and one Group of Five uh, non-con, but no more FCS schools. Play more conference games. What we could see in this scenario, and, and I mean, Chris, you mentioned maybe not likely for South Carolina because a, a lot of those, uh, you know, a, a lot of the schools on their schedule, they're planning to be playing football again this fall. You know, Carolina doesn't have any, any California schools on the schedule. I wonder when the last time they even did play somebody from California was. I feel like it's uh, it's been a while on that. But uh, regardless, this could be an opportunity, you know, for Alabama, if they don't get to play Southern Cal, maybe instead they're scheduling uh, a home-and-home home with Tennessee instead of just playing uh, the, the one Tennessee game this year. This could end up being sort of an experiment and, and a little bit of an incubator for watching teams play more conference games. Uh, one, are you in support of that? And two, do you feel like, do you feel like college football and the SEC might take advantage of of this opportunity where some schools may be forced to play more conference games to to play it out to maybe realistically make that change in the future? Um, I I don't know, man. I mean, I, I think we're again um, at unanswerable questions. Uh, the 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 sense I get is that most of I think most of the Southeast is going to be playing ball, and and for South Carolina. And the SEC, that means uh, I think there's going to be very few changes to, to the actual schedule, the way things are right now. Um, again, could that change in the next couple of months? Uh, absolutely. But it seems like South Carolina's opponents are are um, are all in on playing, and, and it'll sort of continue without a, without a hitch. I think the problem you get with um, playing so many conference games, especially for the SEC, is that for, for college football at large, you've always sort of had this sense of every game matters and to actually play for a championship or make the, you know, the, the final four, you know, the playoff, you, you can't lose more than one game. So if, if you're the SEC, you're already playing a more difficult schedule than most of the teams in the country. So uh, if, within the SEC, it's already so hard win your conference i don't think these schools coaches athletic directors are um too keen on adding another loss to their schedule basically so you you have to have a few of these games that you're supposed to win you you look i mean some some sec schools have a built-in rival that's within the conference if you look at it from south carolina's perspective they can't even play uh you know, a full group of just smaller schools out of conference because you have Clemson every year as well. So you already have, um, obviously, your your eight conference games. And you have what is now a, a yearly matchup with a top five team in the country that's added on top of that. So I just, I personally can't see, now, now other conferences maybe so, but 
you know, if you're if you're the ACC and you start adding more conference games, you're actually weakening your schedule. I think so. Um, you know, I, I think for the SEC, there is a push to leave it at eight because the SEC already beats up on itself anyway. So you don't think that there should be more conference games? Like you wouldn't love to see. And again, the, the idea of the home and home, I had never heard until Brett McMurphy tweeted it out yesterday. But I, I think that's fascinating. And for Carolina, I mean, look, you're, you're you're a ways away from Florida and Georgia right now, and you need to worry about Tennessee, Missouri, and Kentucky before you start to worry about the top two teams in the East. But how cool would it be if Carolina got to play Kentucky, Tennessee, and Missouri twice a year? Because that, that's really what, what a Carolina football season is about now. It's like, yeah, there are going to be people like Gamecock Larry that think Carolina is going to win the national championship every year, and that's wonderful, and you should be optimistic, and you should have high hopes going into the season because that's why we're doing this. But at the end of the day, the the Carolina football seasons uh, of the last couple of years and of the next couple of years are about are you better than Tennessee? Are you better than Missouri? Are you better than Kentucky? Like just play all those teams twice and like really, I mean, it's kind of a high risk, high reward. But if you're going to do home and homes, I think that would be I think that'd be like a really really cool way to do it, and frankly, tell us more about more about what we want to know about South Carolina than like the way the schedule plays out right now tells us. So how how are we deciding that those are the teams that are playing? Um, the home and home. So you know. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it just maybe it just rotates. Like you play you play the other four teams in your division once. You play the other two teams in your division twice. So that's eight games, and then you play your two West opponents, and that gets you to ten. And then you have you know two other out of conference games to schedule. That's how it should be. Because again, like it's it's about. It, well, I mean, this this also kind of goes hand in hand with like playoff expansion, but it should be about you know winning your conference. You know, prioritizing your division and things like that because there's, I mean, there's no standardization of scheduling right now, and it's a little bit frustrating. But I don't know. I mean, Chris, are you in are you in favor of this? Because I would love to see you. You have a rare opportunity here. It's not often. And look, there there are there's almost nothing good to take away from a global pandemic. But if it gives us an opportunity to to schedule college football a little bit differently and just to see what it could be and what it could look like, I feel like we should take advantage of this opportunity. No, I, I don't agree with playing a home and home. I think playing, you know, now certain teams, I agree with Wes, you know, certain conferences, you may be, you know, making your schedule easier by scheduling conference, more conference games. You know, South Carolina. That was a firm shot at the ACC, by the way. Right, right. You know, and look, none of that's to say that South Carolina could go in the ACC right now and roll over those guys because that's, that's not the case. It has nothing to do with South Carolina. It's just, you know, when you look at from top to bottom, it's not extremely strong right now. I mean, you look at Clemson's schedule, and next year, for example, I feel like they could sleepwalk through the schedule and, and win each game by two touchdowns. I mean, there, there's just not many challenges for them with where they're at. But, you know, when you're South Carolina, I mean, you either take them or any other team in the SEC. I don't think you need to – I mean, playing, you know, Tennessee or Georgia, I mean, once in a season is enough. And if you can go win one of those games, I think that's enough of a test. If you're South Carolina, and you and I know we're talking about other teams, not just South Carolina, but when you almost consistently have a top ten, top five, top two most difficult schedule, I don't think there's any reason to change that. You already play the SEC. You already play Clemson. If you can get through that schedule and you win, you know, let's say hypothetically they went through the schedule and they beat Clemson and they made the SEC title game. That's enough, man. They don't need to do more than that. If you, if you do that, if you play Georgia and Florida 
and Tennessee and, and a team from the West and Clemson every year, and you get through that with one loss or something like that, that's enough. You don't need to prove anything else. And there's, and there's no reason that coaches would sign off on that. I mean, imagine asking a coach in the SEC. If, now, some of them may want to play more conference games, you know, if they feel like maybe they've done it in the past and they've been undervalued or whatever it may be. But I, I would imagine most say, no, nah, we're good. We'll go, <laughs> we'll go play an out-of-conference game or something and, and you know, get a, a little bit of a quote-unquote easier game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, if I was a coach or even just as an observer, I, I wouldn't personally sign off on that. All right, well, let me play out one more quick scenario for y'all before we get out of here then. Let's say, because right now, I mean, again, Southern Cal is a private school, so they don't necessarily fall under the, you know, the purview of the California state schools closing, but it seems like if everybody else in California is doing it, that it maybe is less likely that Southern Cal will be playing football in the fall. So that's one game that Alabama either has to replace or they just, they're just going to play 11 games this year, which we've seen people do. Was it Florida State a couple years ago had a game canceled because of a hurricane and couldn't reschedule it or or maybe they did reschedule it at the end of the season. But the point is, it's or Florida did. It was Florida that, that finished like six and five or five and six a couple years ago. Whatever it was, people miss games sometimes. And if 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 this discussion is had and Alabama's like, no, we don't want to play another conference game in lieu of Southern Cal. We'd rather just have eleven. What I'm interested in is, Wes, what if there's a scenario where maybe even a couple more games get canceled for Alabama? Let's say two games get canceled because there's an outbreak. Uh, in in Baton Rouge and LSU has to shut down their football season. I mean, just because that's been an area that, that's hit harder than some other places around the SEC, um, and and they don't get to play LSU, but they win their other games and they're ten and zero. And then you have a bunch of other undefeated or or one loss conference champions, and Alabama wins the SEC at ten and zero, and then subsequently eleven and zero after the SEC championship game. How would we? How should we think about a football season like that, where you play fewer games? But you win all of them. Would a ten and zero Alabama team be a more worthy entry in the college football playoff than, let's say, like a like an eleven and one Ohio State team that also won the Big Ten? Um, I yeah. I mean, if Alabama's undefeated, they're getting in. I think we all know that. But um, I mean, I I don't I don't know. We're in unprecedented times. I think and. Uh, to, to go back to the home and home thing real quick, if um, if we're adding games, shouldn't we be adding? I mean, there's already 14 teams in the SEC, so um, there, there's already a huge length of time between um, playing. You know, as, as you rotate from the West, if you're an East team, there's always a huge, already a huge amount of time between the time you play certain teams from over there. So, to me, if we're going to add a game. Um, we might as well add another, you know, cross division opponent and, and sort of let fans go visit these stadiums from the West that they love to see, but now only rotate onto the schedule. Um, I don't even know what the distance is at this point, but um, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I mean, the, the point is, I think that with everything right now, sports to uh, the restaurant down the street to, everything else in the world right now, there there's going to be a lot of questions. There's going to be situations that arise that um, are, are not what we're used to. And, you know, does the baseball, does the major league baseball season have an asterisk if uh, they play 80 games instead of 162? Uh, does the NBA season have an asterisk because they're only going to play the playoffs potentially? Um, I, I would say no. I, I think we're all just doing the best we can to, to make it as normal as possible. And, 
the, the season counts. I think if you're undefeated, even if it's in 11 games instead of 12, uh, I think you, you go to the playoffs more than likely. But um, there's always debate in sports, and I, I think that this situation will obviously arise. Some new debates about how to handle things. Um, one other completely, not off-topic thing, but I thought was worth mentioning because we've been talking about it earlier. Um, while we were doing the show, Joe Buck just tweeted that um, Fox is looking into the idea of virtual fans hmm. on their broadcast. Wow! And uh, he he got some <laughs> he got some interesting responses. I'll say that. But um, his point was was not that Fox is going to definitely have virtual fans. It's that they're working on that as a possibility because, like everybody, um, every option is being looked into. And um, but but it sounds like the the capability to do that and maybe have some light crowd noise just to make it not sound like a scrimmage. Um, now, th- does it get weird if you have uh, nobody in the stands and you're hearing a crowd roar? Probably yeah. so, but could you maybe have that? There's there's always just like a murmur, even when the crowd's not cheering, mm-hmm. that is present when you're watching sports. It can be very eerie to see an empty stadium with no noise whatsoever. Um, so I think Fox is looking into ideas of ways to make it seem more real and I imagine all, you know, TV groups are going to do that as well. Uh, that sounds uh, a, a little bit creepy to me, uh, Chris. Last word today: virtual fans. We're we're breaking news here on the podcast and responding to it in real time. Virtual fans, go. Uh huh. I mean, I, I do like hearing crowd noise on you know any sport that you watch. I think crowd noise is a cool thing, but uh, it, it'd be a little bit eerie to not have it, but. I don't know about piping it in. I don't know. I'd have to watch it first, man. I I, I don't know to to let you to let you know how it sounds. I do like it if you if you maybe don't notice it and don't really think about it as much. That hey, these are fake fans. Maybe it'd be all right. I just want to see some games. That's what really matters to me. You know, yeah. it doesn't really matter how it. I mean, I watched a, I watched a couple minutes before I stopped myself of of guys in masks playing cornhole in a completely empty arena oh, no. um, the other day. And I was like, no, nah, I'm good on this. So oh, getting um, but, desperate, but baseball, though. basketball, football, I can handle regardless. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I think that's how a lot of people feel. And, and maybe this is a scenario that uh, beggars can't be choosers, and we just hope to have something to watch this fall. But, again, things trending in the right direction, and I think it's encouraging that we're having the discussion of how are we going to make this happen rather than will we make this happen. Obviously, the three of us not making any of these decisions, but just – Will this happen? Uh, it's sort of more of a how will this happen conversation now, which is great. Uh, Wes, Chris, thank you so much. Great stuff as always. Plenty of stuff on GamecockCentral.com where you should go and subscribe. And you can be a free subscriber right now uh, all the way until August. And as we mentioned at the top of the podcast, plenty of recruiting stuff. A lot more that's going to be coming down the pipe here in the next couple weeks, a uh, month and a half or so. So great time to be a subscriber uh, to GamecockCentral.com. Again, free until August. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's, it's already a steal for how little you have to pay to be a member year-round and you get it for free. It's just ridiculous. So I would have advised Wes and Chris against that, but they did it, and it's a terrific opportunity. If you are not a subscriber, if you're just a podcast listener, uh, go check out GamecockCentral.com. But thank you also for listening to this podcast, which is free, and because it's free, it really helps us if you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. So please go do that and tune in to everything else on the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. For Wes and for Chris, I'm Pearson. We'll talk to you next week.